excellent all right so we'll continue to look at the provisions and of course as we have said we're looking at double ticketing and i think i've explained that extremely clearly uh so when you go into a supermarket or you go into a store you see the sticker prices on the items is really one sticker price that should be on there and if you see two sticker prices one is high one is low then when you go to the cashier they're supposed to charge you the lower of the two um, prices and the rest of the section basically is indicating that the sticker prices don't have to be on the product itself could be on the shelf could be inside the container could be on the wrapping wherever that price is for that product um once there are two or more prices then the lower price is what they are supposed to um ring up now that brings us to section 40 and then the other important thing to note about this piece of legislation and i had said it um earlier is that it has two objectives one is to prevent anti-competitive uh practices and the second is consumer protection so what we would have dealt with the anti-competitive provisions um before and now we are looking at the consumer protection provisions and that brings us to sale at bargain price which is section 40 and of course it defines what bargain prices are so when you look at the structure of this act it doesn't leave you to guess what is meant it provides you with the decision with the definitions and those definitions are contained within the body of it act itself so a price that is represented in an advertisement to be a bargain price by reference to an ordinary price or otherwise so again and you know in a sense there's an element of misleading advertisement here because if you're going to advertise that you're selling at a bargain price it therefore means you must definitely sell at a discounted price and sometimes what may happen is that stores think that they are slick they advertise sale but it's really not a sale they're selling at the original sticker prices and if they do that then that is wrong it is a breach of section 40. Uh, B a price so represented in an advertisement that a person who reads hears or sees the advertisement would reasonably understand to be a bargain price by reason of the price at which the goods advertise or like articles are ordinarily sold so it must be obvious then that this is a lower price this is not the actual price right so if they say 60 percent off 50 percent off it must actually be 50 or 60 percent off you may ask yourself how would people know well usually um if a store is having a sale then it's going to advertise that sale and before they would have advertised that sale you may have gone into that store more than one time and you would have observed the prices uh in their original state and therefore you would have information to say whether this is a lower price yes or not sometimes if you're not careful you go into a store and you see an advertisement on a certain rack that it is 50 percent off but not every item on that rack is um is discounted so when you go to the cashier uh and they ring it up you realize that the price is actually not a discounted price and that item may not be discounted so again the stores have an obligation to avoid those types of um situations so a person shall not advertise at a bargain price goods or services which he does not supply in reasonable quantities 
having regard to the nature of the market in which he carries on business, the nature and size of the business carried on by him, and the nature of the advertisement. This, again, is another important feature. You can't just advertise for sale or advertise at bargain prices. You must anticipate the crowd that is going to turn up based on your sale. And you should have adequate supply of the um, item at that price. Which is why what stores do is that they will say while stocks last. So that is to protect them from being um, accused of breaching section 40 of this piece of um, legislation. Right? So the rule will not apply where the person who is advertising proves that he took reasonable steps to obtain in adequate time quantity of the articles that would have been reasonable having regard to the nature of the advertisement but was unable to obtain such a quantity by reason of events beyond his control and that he could not have reasonably anticipated. So this is really the defense that they are going to have. So if in putting up their sale they anticipated that they were going to get a thousand persons and say two thousand people turn up. Uh, but they did everything they could to get as much of the quantity as possible and they can prove, um, show their invoices, show their telephone calls and so on, then they would not be deemed to have been in breach of this um, section. But if they just put up the sale and they didn't do their necessarily due diligence or attempt to source the amount of goods, then they are going to be in difficulties and they would be deemed to be in breach of this particular section. B. He obtained a quantity of the article that was reasonable having regard to the nature of the advertisement but was unable to meet the demand thereof because the demand surpassed his reasonable expectation. And again, I just use the example that they anticipated a thousand persons, about two thousand persons turn up. Then in that circumstances, um, they would not be considered to be in breach of, of this particular um, provision. Now, after he became unable to supply the articles in accordance with the advertisement, he undertook to supply the same articles or equivalent articles of equal or better quality at the bargain price and within a reasonable time to all persons who requested the article and were not supplied therewith during the time the bargain price applied and that he fulfilled the undertaking. So, again, very important, especially for persons in retail, to take note of these things. Because it is not sufficient to show that you attempted to source the adequate quantities. But there is an obligation that if more people than you anticipated come or came, then you would then have to go and source additional items that are of similar quality or better quality and make those available at those prices. Because remember, you know, that this advertisement would have triggered people to come to your store. And therefore, you don't want to be be viewed as a person who is essentially you know tricking the public or trying to entice them by putting up a sale when it's really not a sale that you have and that is why the act makes it clear that you have to do your due diligence and make sure that you put in place the proper systems to ensure that persons who come for that particular price for that particular item are satisfied and in any event it's good for business if your customers leave satisfied as opposed to disgruntled and think that you're pulling a fast one on them so sale above advertised price section 41 person who advertises goods for sale or rent in a market shall not 
during the period and in the market to which the advertisement relates supply goods at a price that is higher than the advertised price so again you don't want to use prices to entice people when you know that that is not the price that you're selling at and that is an offense under this um, section so the section will not apply in respect of an advertisement that appears in a catalog or other publication in which it is prominently stated that the prices contained therein are subject to error if the person establishes that the price advertised is an error so you know um especially when it comes on to clothing there are a lot of catalogs and um these prices are really suggested prices and they will put a rider that prices are subject to change or they may be erroneous and if they do that then again that is a protection of them from breach of section 41 of the act an advertisement that is immediately followed by another advertisement correcting the price mentioned in the first advertisement so again if you have advertised a price and you recognize that that price is a wrong price you correct it by putting out the right price market to which an advertisement relates is deemed to be the market to which it could reasonably be expected to reach unless the advertisement defines market specifically by reference to a geographical area store sale by catalog or otherwise so again these are really mechanisms to protect the retailer or the supplier that they can qualify what their target audience is so the sale may be to one specific store, maybe to a specific area, or it may be um, in a catalog, it may be online. So you can tell what the, um, who your target market is. And if your target market isn't the entire world, then it therefore means that person can then say now that you have breached section 41 of the act. So what are the sanctions to be applied if there are breaches of the section of the fair competition act does it have, does the act have teeth that's really the question that we're asking here and it speaks about the powers of the court which is section 47 so if the court is satisfied on an application by the commission and this is the fair trading commission now that any person has contravened any of the obligations imposed under the act or has failed to comply with any directions of the commission the court may exercise any of the following powers a order the offending person to pay to the crown a pecuniary penalty not exceeding one million dollars in the case of an individual and not exceeding five million dollars in the case of a business so if it's as if it's a person who has violated the act then the maximum fine is one million dollars so it means you can pay less than one million depending on how egregious the offense is or how bad the court think it is and if it is a business then maximum of five million dollars the court can also grant an injunction restraining the offending person from engaging in the conduct of refusal or failure to comply with the commission's request or in refusing to appear before the commission so in other words it can you know we spoke earlier in the case of the um cable and wireless uh versus the minister versus um the fair trading commission 
uh, one of the things that the the cable wires was looking for was uh, injunctive relief. They were looking for mandamus. They were looking for certiorari, and mandamus is getting the 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 FTC to act or the minister to act certiorari to get the decision of the minister reversed or quashed, right? So an injunction can coerce or force the party who is in breach to act in conformity with the provisions of the act or to turn up at the fair trade commission and to participate with their investigation and if they don't do that then they would be in contempt of court fines may be applicable and if they are if they don't pay the fines then they could very well find themselves detained until such um breach is corrected so section 47 the standard of proof in proceedings in standard of um civil proceedings so what this is telling us is that on the balance of probability because this is really civil liability is not criminal and therefore one would say and that's a lower standard right is it likely is it probable that these persons had violated the act and if the answer to that is yes then in those circumstances the um the the case will be made out appeals against the finding of the commission so if a um, report is made commission goes and investigate and they f find an adverse finding that is not the end of the matter any person who is aggrieved by a finding of the commission within 15 days after the date of the finding appeal to a judge in chamber so this is at the supreme court level right that they can make this appeal the judging chamber may confirm, modify, or um, reserve the finding of the commission or any part thereof. Uh, re re reserve their judgment or reverse the finding of the commission. Right? Is really what that is saying. And the judge may direct the commission to reconsider either generally or in respect to any specified matter, the whole or any specified part of the matter to which they appeal so remember the 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 i'd want to say that the fair trade commission has quasi judicial um powers because it can investigate it can come to findings it can make decisions and if it is that you feel that the decision is not fair then you can take the matter to court as i point out here the supreme court and um, if the Supreme Court is of the view that the FTC was incorrect, then they will make that known. Um, or they can accept part of their finding, reject part of their finding, or reverse the finding in its entirety. So the persons are not without um, judicial uh, remedy in relation to, 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 to this matter. So... Um, with that, we have essentially covered the Fair um, Competition Act, and I'm going to pause to see whether or not there are any questions that you may have. Are you clear on the provisions that we have covered?
Well, the answer to that is yes. Um, they regulate the market space is applicable to everybody who is doing business. But again, you know, generally of general application, um, and one of one of the one of the observations I'd make is that when we looked at the um, the telecom sector. The Fair Trade Commission also took one of the telecoms provider, I think it was Digicel, to court in relation to that very same Claro um, deal. And the the telecoms were saying that the Fair Trade Commission did not have jurisdiction to regulate the telecom sector because there was the Telecoms um, Act, Telecommunication Act, and there was the office of the of utilities utilities regulation, and they were saying that these are the entities, uh, are, this is the legislation and this entity that is supposed to regulate the telecommunication sector. I believe that in that case, the court did not agree with the telecom provider and said that yes, the Fair Trade Commission, insofar as it has to do with Section 17 of the Act, which is lessening. Uh, competition is able to look into the um, the, the the matter of uh, fair competition in the telecommunication sector, right? So I, I think that's a that's a very good um, question that you ask. So we have the Fair Trade Commission and Digicel Jamaica. That's 2017, and we have Digicel and the Fair Trade Commission in 2014. And of course, there's a Fair Trade Commission and Digicel in uh, 2012. So there's a, there are quite a number of cases between um, the Fair Trade Commission and the Digis and this telecom sector, um, you know, the, uh, trying to establish whether or not there is any uh, jurisdiction of the Fair Trade Commission over the telecom sector. And in fact, the case that we looked at with cable and wireless and the fair trade commission um again cable and wireless was really accusing the fair trade commission of not doing its job in terms of looking at the whether this agreement was in breach of the fair trade commission act yes or no so again to come back to your question yes it has general applicability and i had made a point again earlier that um you have you have i hear me right so I was making a point earlier when I used the example of um, the the um, Supreme Ventures and what was happening with the new entrance in the market and the accusation that Supreme Ventures was trying to restrict their entry into the market or trying to have exclusive dealings with the um, with the the existing distributors of. Um, lottery games that that could
could possibly be a, a basis for the Fair Trade Commission to enter, but then the, the gaming sector is regulated by the Betting, Gaming and Lotteries Commission and by the Betting and Gaming and Lotteries Act. So the answer is that insofar as it affects competition, then the Fair Trade Commission could very well look into it. But of course, entities within the sector can raise an objection to the FTC coming in and say they don't have any jurisdiction. So one of the clear things that the court will have to establish is whether the FTC does have jurisdiction, yes or no. And I mean, when we went through the provisions of the Act, apart from Section 3 of the Act, which excludes... Um, trade unions, professional bodies, intellectual property rights and so on, there's no other exclusion recorded in the Act. So on the face of it, it is really for the entire marketplace and for all uh, industries one um, could argue. And again, as I've said, if we, if we, if we take the case of uh, Digicel... Um, you know, challenging whether the Fair Trade Commission has the authority to look into the um, look into the 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 this the the sector uh, as a as a as a precedent. Then the answer there is that it had. So, and here's the the case that I actually referred to, which is the Fair Trade Commission. Cable and Wireless, Lime, which is an intervener, Digicel Jamaica Limited, which is the first defendant, and Oceanic Digital, um, which is the second defendant. And that case um, was brought in 2011 as well. And the question that was being asked there is whether the Fair Competition Act applies to generally the telecommunication industry and specifically to mergers and acquisitions whether the fair trade commission has jurisdiction in relation to the agreement for the acquisition of claro by digicel or transactions effected between by the agreement and that matter was heard um january 31 february 28 march 1 21 22 23 april 24 and may 15 uh, between 2011 and 2012 and this essentially comes from the same set of circumstances that we looked at in relation to um, the cable and wireless lime going to the um, going to the, the judicial review court so the argument that was made in that case by um, Michael Hilton QC is that the Fair Completion Act does not apply to the transactions or agreement affected by the agreement. As a consequence, the FTC has no jurisdiction in relation to the agreement. It relies on the following as reasons for a submission. The FCT does not apply generally to telecommunications matter. According to him, the Telecommunication Act provides specifically for the FTC to have jurisdiction in certain cases. He cites Section 5 as an example and submits that by virtue of Section 5, the OUR, the Office of Utility Regulation, should refer certain matters to the FTC. It is his submission that none of the specific cases um, apply. And then the claimant and the interested party submit that the FTC has jurisdiction. 
Dr. Beckford submitted that the instant matter is brought consequent on investigation conducted by the FTC concerning the conduct of business in Jamaica and concerns enterprises engaged in business practices. The matter therefore falls within the mandate conferred on it by virtue of Section 5 of the Fair Competition Act, which also authorizes it to take enforcement proceedings pursuant to Section 46 of the, of the Fair Competition Act. Um, so, the bottom line here is that the court ruled that the Fair Trade um, Commission um, does in fact have jurisdiction under Section 17 in relation to whether or not the activity is um, reducing or lessening competition, right? So, that is essentially where it is concerned so again paragraph 19 are mergers and acquisition excluded from the ftc by the um fair competition act section 19 subsection 3 and 17 subsection 4 of the fair competition act states the circumstances in which the fc's the f the fair competition act is not applicable and contracts relating to mergers and acquisitions are not included in any of the sections is necessary to set out section three and then they went in to look at um section three of the of the act so i mean these cases really seek to establish the um the scope of the fair competition act and the fair trade commission and what the Fair Trade Commission is able to do. And I'd want to say that gen generally, um, if it comes on to an activity that is lessening competition, then it has um, jurisdiction in relation to that. So sec paragraph 32 of the Act here states, it is evident from the wording of section 17 of the Fair Competition Act, that whether the lessening of competition is wittingly or unwittingly achieved is immaterial. The legislature's intent was to give the FTC jurisdiction in all cases which resulted in the lessening of competition. Section 17 was intended by the legislators to prevent uncompetitive practice. It has particularized, although not exhaustively, behavior which amounts to a lessening of competition. Nothing contained in Section 17 of the Fair Competition Act captures what has transpired between Digicel and Claro. Section 18, Subsection 1 prohibits exclusionary provision. It does not allege that the agreement contains any exclusionary provisions. There is no allegation of any collusive behavior between Claro and Digicel. Uh, the issue before, therefore, remains whether the agreement to merge by the defendant in any manner amounts to an abuse of its dominant position at this juncture the issue falls outside the remit of this um application right so essentially they were saying that these the, the arguments here was not an abuse of dominant position and the court is not going to look at it unless it um is applicable so again to come back to your question the ftc i would submit has broad jurisdiction uh, and here 
the case makes it very clear at paragraph 38 it says in the circumstances the court holds that the FTC which is Fair Trade Commission has jurisdiction over the telecommunication industry section 17 of the Fair Competition Act applies in relation to agreements or transactions that fall under section 17 of the Telecommunications Act section 17 of the Telecommunication Act applies to mergers and acquisitions such as the transaction between Digicel and Claro leave to appeal granted if necessary cost to be cost in the claim so you know again to come back to your question the bottom line is that the FTC um, by virtue of section 17 section 19 and section 20 would be able to look at anything that is considered to be uh, an agreement listing competition or an abuse of dominant position and therefore no industry would be exempt from the regulatory um, oversight of the the fair trading commission so the telecommunication sector as i have said is a very um useful vehicle to help to understand um the fair competition act Uh, well, I, I, well, it's a very important case, and one could make the argument, yes, yeah, one could make the argument. Mm -hmm. All right, so listen, um, we have one, one piece of legislation left to look at to complete this course, which is the um, consumer protection provision. I'm not proposing to start that um, today. Uh, so when we come back uh, next week, Tuesday, right? I will give you some time to assimilate all that we have gone through here. Um, we will then do the Consumer Protection Act. And, I, and it therefore means that we will more than likely, barring any unforeseen circumstance, complete the material by next week right the final paper has been set and submitted i saw in one of the chats where um students were saying that they have not seen business law on the um initial timetable but i'm sure <laughs> there'll be other revisions of the timetable and it will be on there the format of the exam um it is two parts there's a multiple choice mcq and there is a essay section right and you have to do both sections so the multiple choice is 45 multiple choice questions and um you have three essay questions to choose one and why as you say it's three um one of them i think is two parts are either or right and as I have said, that if you see either or, do not attempt to answer both. Because there's only one of them going to be marked. Right? Uh, and make sure that you are answering the correct question. Because if you answer the wrong question or give the wrong answer, then that is going to have uh, implications for your marks. So, 
that's it from me for this afternoon 45 mcq because remember the final exam is for 60 percent of the mark right so you will have um you know and when it gets in relation to the time i don't really like to get into that because invariably it creates some degree of confusion the exam will be open for four hours but you have two hours within which to do the actual exam itself right so once you start to do the exam the clock is going to start running and you will have two hours in which to complete the exam but i qualify that by saying to you the instructions are on the exam paper read the instructions carefully okay malik smith you had a question